Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Sugar Right Show on 91.5 FM WMFO in Medford, Tusk, Free Farm Radio, streaming nationwide on the TuneIn Radio app and globally on WMFO.org. Believe it or not, this is not a pre-recording that you're hearing if you're listening to the show live. This is not pre-recorded. This is live. For the first time since March 13, 2020, we are live back in studio on 91.5 FM WMFO in Medford. And it is absolutely hard to believe that it's been a year and a half. And I'll be the first to tell you that I wasn't even sure if this day was in fact going to even come at all. And here we are. It's amazing to think that since March 13th, 2020, which was the very last time that I was on the airwaves live in studio here at 91.5 FM WMFO in Medford, that the world has completely changed. It has completely changed and frankly, it very well may never be the same again. Phone lines are open. You can call into the program. 855-915-WMFO. 855-915-9636. I'm here with you live until 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. I have a tremendous show lined up for all of you today. I have two guests that are going to be calling into the program. Nick Alberger of Sportsnet. He will be calling in at 5.45 to talk NHL, NHL training camp, and all things hockey. And at 6.15 Eastern, my good friend Lauren Campbell of Nesson, she will be calling into the program to talk all things Boston Red Sox, Red Sox pennant race, and what on earth, if you're a Red Sox fan, do you do to help make up for the fact that the Red Sox got swept over the weekend by the New York Yankees? That is something that we're going to get very much deep into um, at 6.15, so you're going to definitely want to stick around for that as well. But I'm going to open this program and spend the next 15 minutes um, talking about everything that I have been thinking about leading to this moment. I have dreamt about this moment for a year and a half, funny enough. No, seriously. Ever since I did the last show here, and I'll never forget I'll never forget that night in particular. I'll never forget the day before, as a matter of fact, on March 12th, when I came into the very same studios that I'm sitting in now and did a special edition two hours of the Sugar Ride Show, basically breaking all things COVID-related news as to how it was impacting the world of sports. And I've told people since then, even during the height of the pandemic, that that was by far the most surreal broadcast that I've ever done in my life. And probably the most surreal broadcast that I ever will do in my life. Hopefully that nothing much more worse or severe happens in our lifetime. Hopefully. But that Friday, March 13th, I got here around 5 o'clock. And, and I sat in Studio C as I was preparing to do a one-hour edition of the Shukri Wright Show on 91.5 FM, WMFO, in which that I didn't know what to think 
I remember that day in which that there was a myriad of emotions that I was that I was experiencing as I entered the studio, as I did that 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. show that night. And I had two really good friends of mine who called into the program and stayed with me the entire hour. We talked all things Bruins, Celtics. By that point, both the NBA and the NHL season were shut down. So there really wasn't much to talk about in terms of sports because everything was just happening in such slow motion in terms of the world shutting down at that time that all we could do was process together everything that was happening. And as we got closer to the 8 o'clock mark, and I sign off from this station for the last time live, and for those of you who have been listening to the Sugar Ride Show or 91.5 FM WMFO know that I have been doing the show remotely since it was brought back last May. But ever since I signed off from the very last time on March 13th of last year from this very seat that I'm sitting in now, all I kept thinking was, I don't know what the rest of the coming days, weeks, months will look like, but I sure do hope that I will be back in the studio doing radio because radio was meant to be done live. I had no idea what was to come. In fact, if we're being completely honest, no one knew. I mean, no one knew back then what was to unfold. I remember standing across the street from the station and rather being very emotional. I was very emotional. And I admit that wholeheartedly. In which that I'm like, the thing that I absolutely love to do is being taken away. And I couldn't help but to to think and wonder when I would ever be able to return. In fact, I'll, I'll even go as far as to say that every single community member and even every DJ at the station had wondered those very same thoughts, if we're being completely honest. Every single person who does a show at the station, who had a show before the pandemic, or on the day of March 13th, the day of the shutdown for everyone, community members, DJs, radio hosts like myself and whatnot, we all had the same questions. We all had the same concerns. We all had the same trepidations. There was no question about that. And here we are, a year and a half later, so much has changed, both in terms of the world and as well as within sports. And as I mentioned, I'm here with you live until 7 o'clock. So the phone lines are open at 855-915-9636. Even as I sit here and I begin to think about what this moment means to me, I can't help but to, but to deeply reflect on the journey because... It's been an odyssey in more ways than one. It has. And I said something in the, in the meeting that took place before, uh, before this week began, in which that I, I mentioned, I talked about how this is such a huge deal. 
to be back in studio to be able to do the radio show live. If you're listening via car radio in, in Greater Boston, if you're streaming the show live on the TuneIn Radio app, or even for those who are going to be listening to this program on demand later on on the Sugar Rights Podcast, which is available on iHeartRadio, I've had thoughts in which that it was going to be a lot longer before any of us would be able to come back in studio to do this program. And even when we were allowed to do our programs again remotely in May of last year, the one thing I remember most is we were we were just happy to be able to do the show. I was. Because you got to remember at that time, and everything is about context, right? Everything is about context. Everything is about putting things into proper perspective. And... I remember in May at the time, we were, May of last year, that is, we were all still stuck at home. Many of us, for those who weren't essential workers and so forth, we were still stuck at home. And being able to do a show at home was a blessing. But I'll also be the first to admit that after eight months, it was beginning to wear thin. The process of doing shows remote and pre-recording began to wear thin on me. And although I was grateful to be able to do the show, but it wasn't the same as doing it live. Being, being able to interact with the fans, the listeners, and those who enjoy the show, enjoy the content that I bring forth and, and so forth. I can't help but to think about how far we've come, and I'm talking in terms of the world and as well as society, since March 13th of last year. And what is amazing about all of this is, if you think about where we were back then and where we are now, we're still in the midst of a pandemic, but things are a lot better now than it was on March 13th, 2020. Because in more ways than one, it felt like we were all still, you know, like walking or sleepwalking through this. Like, no, this is not real. This is, <laughs> what's coronavirus? I mean, how many, how many of us knew what coronavirus was on March 13th, 2020? We knew about it, but not, not many people really knew just how bad and how serious it was. So that weekend, I remember it was basically like life, <laughs> life as usual. Do whatever you want to do. And I'll never forget seeing people in Southie. And for those who live locally in Boston, greater Boston, know what I'm talking about. In South Boston is what we, is what we call Southie. Seeing people lined up up and down the street waiting to get in bars. And I was just shocked. I was, dis I was in absolute disbelief that people were still lining up to go to bars. Despite everything that was unraveling at that time. I mean, <laughs> talk about having the absolute cojones and having the balls to still go out and just, hey, we're going to just do whatever we want to do anyway. What the heck? 
but it's amazing just to think how how far we've come from that day and the journey that it's took for all of us. And I'm not selfishly speaking on my part in this moment. I'm talking collectively as a group, as a network of people. All of the work that it has taken for us to to get here, to be able to do the shows again in studio. And for anyone who has ever taken this for granted before, I beg you, please don't ever take this for granted again. And I made an oath to myself, and I'm going to make this oath on the air, that I personally would never, ever take this for granted again. If you ever for one moment begun to lose sight of what it's like to be able to to do live radio, especially in studio, just just reflect on the last year and a half of the angst in waiting and waiting and waiting for when it is safe to be able to do the show again in studio. If that is not enough to make you appreciate and reflect on what it is and the blessing that you and I have to be able to do this, and for me personally, to be able to do this for a living, I don't know what else there is to say. And for those of you who are watching on Facebook Live, I just want to quickly say hello to all of you. I acknowledge you, I see you, and I appreciate you. In continuation with my thoughts on this, I want to also say thank you to the program director, the general manager of the station, the operations director, and all of the all of the that the collective leadership group here at this station for being so so headstrong throughout all of this. All of you guys deserve a world of credit. And to everybody at Tufts University who who work together to ensure that we are all able to do this show in person and to open the state the station again for both the the students and as well as the community radio hosts and DJs and so forth. I simply want to say thank you. Thank you so much. My voice is cracking because um, I was at Fenway the last three nights for all three games of the Yankees-Red Sox, so my voice is a, is a little, little sore, so I apologize. My voice is cracking. But as I mentioned earlier, you can call into the program at 855-915-WMFO, 855-915-9636. Very happy, very overwhelmed with joy to be back in the studio to be able to do this program with you today. Here with you live until 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific. Coming up next, 
We do got sports to talk about. And if you are, and I do mean if you are a Patriots fan, you are absolutely disgusted, annoyed, mad over what we saw yesterday down in Gillette Stadium against the New Orleans Saints. That and much more coming up next on the other side of this music break right here on the Shukri Wright Show on 91.5 FM, WMFO in Medford live in studio for the first time since March 13, 2020. This is Shukri Wright. You are listening to 91.5 FM, WMFO in Medford, Tuskegee from radio streaming nationwide on the TuneIn Radio app and globally on WMFO.org and on demand on iHeartRadio and Odyssey. Like 
Dr. Lester Grinspoon, Associate Professor Emeritus of Psychiatry at the Harvard Medical School. Back in 1966, concerned that so many young people were harming themselves through the use of marijuana, I began to review the medical and scientific literature to help clarify the nature of this harmfulness. Much to my surprise, I discovered that it was a substance remarkably free of toxicity. In fact, it is far safer than any pharmaceutical or recreational drug. There is no record of a single overdose death from its recreational or medicinal use. Marijuana is one of the most studied substances. I believe that it is high time that this country reconsider its stance on cannabis. Them legalize marijuana. Welcome back to the Shukri Wright Show on 91.5 FM, WMFO in Medford, Tuskegee from radio, streaming nationwide on the TuneIn Radio app and globally on WMFO.org. We are back in studio, live. This is not pre-recorded. And for those of you who have been listening to this program for the last year and a half, whenever it's been on, you're accustomed to hearing this show pre-recorded. But this is not pre-recorded at all. This is live. You can call into the program. 855-915-WMFO. We're here with you until 7 o'clock each and every Monday right here on 91.5 FM. WMFO in Medford. Call into the program at 855-915-9636. And we're going to spend this segment talking about the New England Patriots because if we can be at least on, be honest about something here is is that we knew and I, when i say we i do mean we knew we knew that the patriots were going to have some growing pains in 2021 and i know it's only been 3 weeks we just played week 3 and so forth but yesterday's game against the new orleans saints was absolutely atrocious Every single facet, no matter how you may want to try to slice and dice it. It was just brutal to watch. I mean, if I'm going to give you one tidbit of something that I saw from the game that I absolutely despised, it was the fact that the Patriots' run defense absolutely had difficulty containing Alvin Kamara. And it's interesting because I was tweeting about this during the game. And for those who don't follow me on Twitter, follow me on Twitter at Shukri Wright. That's at S-H-U-K-R-I-W-R-I-G-H-T-S. Hit me up on Twitter. And when I was tweeting about this yesterday during the game, and I was saying that the run defense against Alva Kamara, against the Saints running offense, has absolutely struggled. And, And it's definitely struggled the most, especially on third downs. It just seemed like that 
that the Patriots defense was not able to get off the field. And there were moments where it just seemed as if that the Patriots defense, they were able to get the timely stop, but those were very far in between. Very far in between. You didn't see this enough in which that you could say, hey, you know what? The run defense, they've made strides. they made improvements. But yesterday, it was absolutely, absolutely putrid. In which, Kamara, let's face it, he is the focal point of the New Orleans Saints offense. Until Jameis Winston is able to prove himself consistently over and over and over again. He, he is the focal point in which that the New England Patriots, they were not able to shut him down completely. Yes, he averaged just a shy under four yards per carry in yesterday's game. But when the Saints offense needed yardage, too many times, more than I can count, that Kamara was able to come through, that he was able to give the Saints, the yards that he that they needed on the ground, and even catching out of the backfield. And it was absolutely frustrating to watch, especially that first touchdown that the that the Saints scored that made it seven nothing. I mean, you talk about completely fooling a defense, which you just don't see. You don't see from a Bill Belichick defense for them to get that fooled that badly, especially on that Alvin Kamara opening touchdown to open the scoring in in yesterday's game. That was the case. And it was absolutely frustrating to watch time and time again that the defense was not able to do its job. And that's where I really want to focus a lot of my thoughts as it pertains to the New, the New England Patriots during this segment because the defense was the most frustrating to watch. But however, however, I will say they were not the only ones to blame at all. Far from it. Far from it. If we're going to be completely honest, Janu Smith deserves part of the blame too. The offensive line deserves a big part of the blame as well. It just seemed as if that Mac Jones was literally running away from a pack of hyenas that were out to look for its meal. How many times during yesterday's game in which that you looked at Mac Jones and you see him that he's running for his he's running for his life? How many times did you see that? Far too many times for my liking. Far too many times. And and as far as Janu Smith goes. I got so ticked off yesterday during the game that I said, bench him, bench him, bench him. Bench him the same way that Ramondre Stevenson got benched in week one against Miami. That same way that Stevenson didn't even sniff the field after that fumble early in that Miami game, treat Janu Smith the same way. Because it was absolutely disgusting. It was disgusting for him to perform that poorly yesterday. But man, <laughs> I got to get credit where it's due. Jameis Winston, he had a good game. I'm not going to go as far to say that he had a great game, and I'm using air quotes on this one. But 
What I am going to say is he had a good game in which that Winston took the snaps, but it was t- it was Taysom Hill who saw quite a bit of action in the early going, especially as an eligible receiver. Because remember, Taysom Hill, he's a hybrid. He's a quarterback. He can also play receiver. Is he a starting quarterback in the NFL? No. He's just one of those two-way type of players in which that he can excel at either position, but he's not good enough to be a starting quarterback. Otherwise, Jameis Winston is not in New Orleans. And that's just keeping it all the way 100. Again, if you're listening, if you want to call into the program, you can call in 855-915-WMFO, 855-915-9636 to talk about yesterday's Patriots loss against the New Orleans Saints, your thoughts on the game, and as well as anything that you're frustrated that you saw from yesterday's game that you you didn't like. For me, it was three facets. It was the defense, it was the offensive line, and as well as Mac Jones. But Mac Jones, interestingly enough, is not on top of my list of concerns for the Patriots. He really isn't. I can honestly name two or three things that I'm more concerned about as it pertains to the New England Patriots more than Mac Jones. The running game, that's number one. The offensive line, that's number two. The defensive front seven, I thought it was going to be a lot better than what it's been. But no, it's been putrid at best. Yes, I used the word putrid. And don't give me the whole, well, what about last week's game against the New York Jets? whoop the bleeping do That was the New York Jets. Don't get me wrong. The Jets, they are going to do things that basically classify as they just basically Jets themselves. That's what it was. But the front seven for the New England Patriots has been bad. It has not been good. It has been less than impressive. And maybe I'm being too nice, but the front seven, absolutely not. Absolutely not. But as far as Matt Jones is concerned, Matt Jones endured more pressure from the Saints front on almost every single drop back he had in the game. Now, think about it and reflect on this for just a moment. Every time that you saw Mac Jones drop back to pass, it just seemed like guys like DeMello Davis and Cam Jordan were basically in the backfield chasing Mac Jones around. That's what it seemed like every single time. And you, you want to know what is, an, what is that a, uh, an indictment of? The offensive line. The offensive line being as bad as it was yesterday. And one thing I will touch on real quick is this. James White. Oh, James White, when I saw the injury that he had yesterday, it is a hip injury. But as far as how long he will be out, according to the latest reports, he is going to be out indefinitely. How long that is, we don't know. I don't know. But man, you want to talk about absolutely a a gut punch or a kick to the nuts 
to the Patriots offense. That was it yesterday. Any sort of hope that the Patriots offense were going to be able to have some sort of continuity or to be able to get going was all eradicated when James White was taken out of the game on a stretcher yesterday. That was gone. And now, here's a bigger question. How are you going to replace James White in terms of his production, in terms of what he brings? Because we're talking about James White being the best pass-catching running back out of the backfield in the NFL, bar none. And you're not going to have that for a significant period of time. What are you going to do if you're Josh McDaniels and Bill Belichick? What are your options? Because your options, not very not very impressive. Brandon Bolden, <laughs> okay. Three rushes for a minus one yard yesterday. And I, I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it. He has had 18 carries on the ground over the last few years here in New England. I get that. Fine. But if you're going to try to persuade me and to tell me that Brandon Bolden is, is, your, is one of your options, this team is in trouble. That's just being brutally honest. This team is already in trouble as is. But, man, when I look at this team being one and two right now, there are some serious major concerns that I have as it pertains to the New England Patriots. And it's not just the offensive side of the ball. It's not. I'll even go as far as, here's a bigger question that I have. With some of the personnel decisions that the Patriots have made, Cam Newton, that situation, as well as Sonny Michel being traded to the L.A. Rams, would the Patriots be in any better of a spot than what they are in now? Would they? If they were both here. Because again, hindsight is always 2020. Always. But if we're going to be honest with ourselves for a moment, did we foresee the running back situation being what it is now? No, no one did. And to be to be brutally honest with all of you, especially, especially those who supported Cam Newton hard during training camp, I don't think even if he was the starting quarterback that he would have been able to mask a lot of the deficiencies that the Patriots' offense have right now. And that's something that I would honestly tell you. It's amazing how we find ourselves in this position At the end of week three, we knew that the first six games were going to by far determine the course of the Patriots' season. But as we sit here on this Monday afternoon, as we are approaching Monday evening, I don't know how you possibly could feel good about this team and not feel concerned about the direction as to where this team is heading. Again, my concern and my blame is not directed at Mac Jones at all. If anything, if there was a concern that I have about Mac Jones, it's his mental well-being. 
Because I don't know how many of you took note of this yesterday during the broadcast, but man, I didn't like the body language I saw from Mac Jones at all. I really despised it. This looks like a, looked like a kid who, and when I say kid, I don't mean, oh, he's some, he's some baby or anything like that. No, but we're, we're talking about a young quarterback who looks as if he was defeated. Not a good look. Not a good look. And if you're the coaching staff for the New England Patriots, you have got to be having conversations with him all week. you got to be telling him, hey, don't put this on your shoulders. You, you cannot carry this by yourself. You are going to have good games. You're going to have bad games. That's the nature of the NFL on a week-to-week basis. Hopefully you'll have more good games than bad, but you can't get yourself too low after, after a bad game. You can't. Any thoughts or concerns as it pertains to the New England Patriots, call in at 855-915-WMFO, 855-915-9636. I got phone lines open. We are going to have Nick Alberger of Sportsnet in Canada join us at 545. He's going to join us in just less than six minutes. So with that being said, if you want to call in and talk to me now, now is the time. Now is the time. Because we're going to have two guests out of the next three segments, we're going to have two guests. We're going to have Nick Alberga at 545, Nick Alberga of Sportsnet. And then at 615, we're going to have Lauren Campbell of Nesson. She's going to join the program at 615. So if you want to call and talk to me, this is now the time to do it. Coming up next, we're going to take a music break. And then at 545, as I just mentioned, Nick Alberga is going to join the program. And we're going to talk all things NHL, including the Boston Bruins, as training camp is well underway. And the Bruins, they had an impressive win yesterday in the shootout against the Washington Capitals. And they got the Rangers tomorrow night in New York at MSG. So if you're in the mood for some good trucking hockey discussion, keep it locked in right here to 91.5 FM WMFO in Medford. So stay tuned for that. This is Shukri Wright. You are listening to the Shukri Wright Show on 91.5 FM WMFO in Medford, Tuskegee from radio streaming nationwide on the TuneIn Radio app and globally on WMFO.org, available on demand on the Shukri Wright's podcast on iHeartRadio and Odyssey. It's beautiful, it's bittersweet, you like a broken home to weep I take a shot of memories and black out like an empty street I fill my days with the way you walk and fill my nights with broken dreams I make up lies inside my head like one day you'll go 
Like a dino mind if I can't decide, baby. 
Welcome back to the Sugar Right Show on 91.5 FM WMFO in Medford, Tusk Reform Radio, streaming nationwide on the TuneIn Radio app and globally on WMFO.org. Just trying to get Nick Alberger of Sportsnet connected, so just bear with me for just a, just a few moments for right now. Uh, we are still on music break, and you are listening to Take You to Hell by Ava Max, so stay tuned. Stand by.
Welcome back to the Shukri Right Show, 91.5 FM, WMFO in Medford, Touch Reform Radio, streaming nationwide on the TuneIn Radio app and globally on WMFO.org. Um, still waiting for Nick Alberga to, to connect, so for right now, I am going to the talk until we are able to finally get him through. He is on the other side, just uh, good old technology problems and whatnot, but neither way, um, very much appreciative of him coming on the program today. So, just waiting for him to, to to come on the air. So, for right now, just want to give you um, just a couple of my thoughts on yesterday's impressive win by the Boston Bruins against the Washington Capitals. Yes, I know it's preseason, but but there are some things to really like uh, from from yesterday. One of them in which that um, I was reading about this earlier today. That that third line with with DeBrusque and Haller, um, oof. That's a line that could very much be a difference maker for the Boston Bruins, especially for a team that is going to be um, expecting a lot out of its secondary scoring. So I definitely, um, and it is something that I definitely think that the Bruins are going to absolutely, yeah, I'm in context with uh, with Nick at the, on the other side. And give me one Give me one moment. We are going to continue with this uh, with this music uh, break for now until we are able to get him on the line. You're listening to 91.5 FM WMFO in Medford. Come pass me a liar, we're gonna leave him on fire 
Nothing? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, I eight, nine, ten. I can't hear you, Nick. One second. Nothing on your end? Hold on. Testing. Hello? Hmm. Nick? Hello, hello, hello. We have Nick on uh, on right now, but can't hear him on very well. One second. Can't hear you. Hold on a second. Let's see. Let's see if we got anything here. Ooh. This is this is no good. Yeah, hold on, hold on a second. Yeah, except that I have I had you plugged into the aux. The issue, yeah, the issue is, is that there, it's not gonna come through radio side. That's that's the issue. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm I'm here. Yeah, I, I can hear I can hear you calling in, but I'm just waiting for it to go through. Yes. All right, try pressing one and see what happens. Why are they still... That's that is very strange. Hold on, because I'm gonna try calling it myself again. I, I, I want you to, to to hear it. Hold on. Thank you for calling WMFO, Tufts University's community and freeform radio station. WMFO is resuming some on-air shows in studio, and some shows are still pre-recorded due to COVID-19. To be connected with the DJ in the studio for a live show, press one. Believe a. 
That's very strange. Let me try again. I've tried nine times. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. That's that's strange. If uh if not, try try this alternate number. I don't know if it'll work in terms of getting through to the studio, but there's a there's an alternate number you can try. Okay, one second, let me try this one more time. Yeah, definitely. That's weird. Why? I I don't I don't think that's the case. That's strange because I've had no 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 I've had I've had before the pandemic I had Mike Camito on. Um, he called he because he, he's in Ontario. I like yeah like that's what I'm thinking like I've had a, I've had someone. Um, on the other side of the border, call in. I'm like that. That can't be the case. It's probably, probably the way that it's set up. But there's an alternate number that you can try. Maybe um, seven eight one three five zero three two six four. See if that works. I have no idea, but it's worth a try. Ah, now now we're getting in. Now we're in. Hold on. Joins the program now on 91.5 FM WMFO in Medford. Good afternoon to you, Nick. Uh, thank goodness we're finally able to get through this malaise and finally be able to get this thing sorted out. How are you doing? I am fantastic. I don't know if I'm as good as you after the weekend. You had a Fenway I saw on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> My voice has been literally cracking. Like, I mean, it's that's that, that's been the only... Negative, and I guess that's – I can't even say if it's a negative, um, especially given that the Yankees swept the Red Sox. But, um, but yeah, but but not – but either way, I'm excited to have you on, man. Like, I mean, and this is the first program back in studio um, since March 13th of last year, so it's, uh, so it's very meaningful to say the least. Well, welcome back, and uh, certainly we have the hockey season on the mend, and as you know, I'm a big-time baseball fan, a big week ahead for my Toronto Blue Jays as well, as you know. Yeah, you got the Blue Jays coming up against the New York Yankees beginning tomorrow. In fact, before I even get to the hockey, let's start there. Uh, the Blue Jays, they are fighting tooth and nail to remain in the American League wild card, and they have they've gotten into a little bit of a slump most recently. And, and Nick, I want to ask you, what are your thoughts on the, the on this battle that's coming up, three games between the Yankees and the Blue Jays beginning tomorrow. 
I think it's going to be something special. I think for the most part, um, you know, because of the crowd they're expected to have. As you know, here in Canada, it's been slow moving to get attendance up to where you guys have been at in the states for quite some time, and they've yeah. actually extended the, uh, you know, the attendance from fifteen thousand to thirty thousand for this series. So, uh, whatever happens, I can tell you, it's going to be a raucous building, the home crowd for the Blue Jays, which they haven't seen a lot of the last couple of years, and. I'm really excited for it. Like the Yankees had an outstanding weekend against the Boston Red Sox. Joe West helped them out last night. Always great to see that. Of course, the home plate umpire and that terrible missed call in that game. But I'm not a man of excuses. So I think for the Blue Jays, they're going to go out there. They're going to take care of business, in my opinion. Oh, for sure, no, no question. And and um, and I got to ask you about Vladimir Guerrero Jr. because he right now is my American League MVP for 2021. We all know about Shohei Otani, what the Angels and what he's been able to do two ways, both on the mound and as well as with the bat as well. If you had to vote for the American League MVP in 2021, are you going with Shohei Otani of the Angels or are you going with Vladimir Guerrero Jr.? It's really tough to quantify. Uh, I'll be honest in saying it would be difficult to go against Vladimir Guerrero. Having said that, I think it's such a unique situation. You look at Shohei Otani, just his dominance on the mound, his dominance at the plate. Um, I think it's important to remember as well, Mike Trout's missed the majority of this season. The Angels aren't a very good team. So it's all dependent on the voters and how they quantify what an MVP truly is. Because you just look at the numbers Vladimir Guerrero is the best offensive player in baseball right now. There's there's no other way around it. I think Tatis obviously is close uh, in San Diego, but the type of year that um, Guerrero has had, now people can make that argument that, hey, those guys around him really help and they insulate him well. I get that. And I think the other argument will be when it comes to Shohei Otani is the fact that he's been quite dominant at two positions, which, again, is very uncanny, and we've never really seen it before since like the days of Babe Ruth. Uh, so that's... Oh, yeah. That's the conversation, but I, I just think the season Vladdy has had, I, it, it would be difficult, uh, especially if this, this Jays team finds a way to get in. It would be difficult in my world, and granted, I'm a bit biased being here in Toronto to, to vote against Vladdy. Now, being in Toronto, we're going to switch to NHL now. We entered the 2021-2022 NHL season with a truculent of headlines. I want to start with the Toronto Maple Leafs because that is a team that you – that you that you know well, you were the host of Leafs on Leafs Nation pregame, pre and post game on Sportsnet five ninety the fan in Toronto. Now, after the collapse that they had last season in the first round against Montreal Canadiens, who went on to go to the Stanley Cup Finals, and the changes that they made during the off season, what are your expectations as it pertains to the Toronto Maple Leafs in two thousand twenty one, two thousand twenty two, and do you think that this is finally the season that they finally break through? and are able to finally get out of the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs? Well, I would say it's uh, it's pretty much all or nothing. Certainly, I guess, in this current iteration of this team with the big megastars they have and the four players they paid in excess of $40 million bucks to, that's just pretty much what it's coming down to. Uh, you know, this team hasn't won a playoff series in almost two decades, if you can believe it, and that certainly is weighing heavily in this market. For a team who prides itself on being potentially a Stanley Cup contender, you haven't won a playoff series in almost two decades. Uh, it, it's pretty worrisome, I think, if you ask me. So the pressures on this team, uh, from their star players all the way to their fourth liners, to their new goaltending situation now with Peter Morazic into the fold, to the brain trust, Brennan Shanahan, mm-hmm. Kyle Dubas, the general manager. There's a ton of pressure, and I think, again, working against the Maple Leafs as well this season is the fact 
that they're returning to the old Atlantic Division, and there's some really, really good teams in there. So they're going to be tested off the bat where you look at last year in the All-Canadian Division, the North Division, uh, they were pretty much a shoe-in from puck drop of the season to make the Stanley Cup playoffs. Now I think they're going to be in a battle for their lives just to make the postseason this year. So there's a lot of pressure on this team. There's no doubt there's talent on this roster, and we'll see if they can put it together this time around. I was telling someone last week that there is going to be a team that has at least 90 points, if not more, and not make the playoffs because of how good the Atlantic division is going to be this season. And among the teams that the Maple Leafs are going to be contending against are the Boston Bruins. And this this question is going to be 100% geared towards the Boston Bruins in which that the biggest question mark that I have for the Bruins going into the 2021-2022 season is the goaltending situation. Do you think that the Bruins are going to be able to ride out Linus Olmark as starting goaltender until whenever Tukaras is able to return healthy? And if so, do you think it will be with Jeremy Swayman um, being the backup on, on the Boston Bruins? Well, firstly, I think it's imperative to bring up, like, Linus Allmark is a fantastic goalie, and there's a reason why they paid him, what, $5 million bucks this team yes. to perform mm-hmm. as potentially a number one goalie. Um, having said that, he has had an injury-riddled past. He had 20 appearances last year. He hasn't played more than 40 games in an NHL season ever in his career. He's 28, so I get it. Uh, I mean, there's some concern certainly there. I think there's got to be more respect in the name of Jeremy Swayman, who, again, small sample size last year gets his shot, and I thought he performed admirably. Um, I, you know, I, I, I do think Linus Allmark can do it, and I'm not sold that Tuka Rask is going to be back with this Boston Bruins team. It's all great that Tuka wants to be back, but do they really need him? Uh, and that's, mm. that's, you know, hoping, I guess, that a guy like Jeremy Swayman could take that next step. But then you look at a reason why Dan Bodar is no longer with this team is they thought Swayman could be the guy, right? So yeah. I'm not sold on the pundits out there that suggest that Tuka Rask necessarily is going to be back. Uh, again, it's great that he wants to be back, but this Allmark signing you know, leads me to believe that Boston may have turned the page a bit here. I don't know if you feel the same way. I felt the same way when the, when the signing first took place, in which I, I said, and I was saying this at the time, that you don't pay someone $5 million to be a backup goaltender. That's not backup goaltender money. What they were paying... Anton Hudobin and and then um, Yaroslav Halak. That was that was backup goaltending money. You don't pay someone five million to, to sit on the bench and just and just ride shotgun. And I am really am curious to see, even if the the Bruins would have paid Tukaras minimum because he's not even on payroll right now. He's still a, a UFA, so so to speak. I think that if they were to bring him back, if and that's a bigger because he had that that. That surgery to um, to re- to recover from that the, the, the hip injury that he had, and I wonder if you are the Bruins, if you're Don Sweeney in particular, what is exactly the plan for the goaltender position for the future? Because all indications are that Swayman is not going to be the starter this season, barring injury, and that they're they're willing to go with Olmark in, in in hopes that he could stay healthy and be that number one goaltender that that they believe that he can be. Well, I think the expectation is that Jeremy Swayman is going to push Linus Olmark in between the pipes. I think any successful team in this league, especially in this day and age, is is 
you know, having a tandem system in place where you can rely on both guys heavily. And, of course, the Boston Bruins, one of the initial teams that have had sort of an impact the last couple of years in, in having your Slavolak, the aforementioned one, and Tuka Rask is yeah. a great one-two punch. So that's my expectation. I think they're they're obviously rather cognizant of the, the history of Linus Allmark and uh, the fact that he, he does come with some baggage. But when healthy, he's a really, really good goalie. Like, that intrigues me beyond belief is – Linus Allmark now on an actually really good hockey team and how he fares and what his numbers look like. So I, I, I would I would expect Jeremy Swayman to push him for some starts as the season progresses. And I think luckily for Boston, um, you know, they can reassess the situation as the season goes on and as they know more about Tuka Rask. You know, reading right now, they just have under $2 million bucks of cap space. So I don't know what a potential contract midseason would look like for Tuka Rask, but I'm sure if they had the need to get a goalie or find a goalie and Ross made sense, they would make it happen, right? So um, I think they're lucky in that respect. They have sort of a wild card to play in potentially Tuka Rask later on this season. We are talking with Nick Alberger of Sportsnet here on the Shukri Red Show on 91.5 FM WMFO in Medford. The question that, I, that a lot of Bruin fans are wondering is what are they going to do to replace David Krejci on that second-line center, center position. And one thing that has stood out to me already is that Jastin Nika has looked absolutely explosive. But a lot of people are expecting that Charlie Coyle ends up being the starting second-line center that's going to be in the middle in between Taylor Hall and Craig Smith. How do you see this battle shaping out as we had towards um, towards the latter stages of training camp and as well as do you believe that Justin Nitka um, can take on a, a top six role replacing a guy in Krejci in which he in which has he's been an absolute like warhorse if you will for the Boston Bruins over the last several years especially in the playoffs yeah it's funny you bring that up because when you pose the initial question about the goaltending I automatically thought about my biggest other concern for Boston this season and now it's a two c i I just think you know it goes without saying the importance of David Krejci to that team for you know x amount of years and not having him in the lineup. I think we're really going to start to see the worth and value of david Krejci. i I'm not sure Charlie Coyle's going to be the answer at two c uh, obviously they re-signed Taylor Hall like that Craig Smith had an outstanding second half. I thought he was good in the postseason as well. But I, I think you need to find sort of another another type guy. I don't know if it's Thomas Noshik. Uh, I don't know if it's Eric Halla. Uh, but maybe a veteran guy steps up. And I think, to your point, I think a Jack Spednika here in training camp specifically will get every shot to crack. Uh, because I think at this point in Charlie Coyle's career, we know what he is, and that's not a second-line center, with all due respect. I think he's a really responsible player. I think he's fantastic on a third-line look. I just don't think he is good enough up the middle to be on a second line with a playmaker, a guy who can finish as well in Taylor Hall and a veteran like Craig Smith has done it year in and year out for a big chunk of time here in his NHL career. So I'm sure they'll, they'll, they'll look at a couple different things, but I think Studnika could have the inside track here, uh, depending on how he continues to support, perform, perform, excuse me, I should say, here in training camp, because I just don't know if Coel is going to be the op- option. I know people are looking at Coel, I just don't know if he's going to be the guy there. If you were a, a betting man in which you say which free agent signing was going to have the most profound impact for the Boston Bruins in 2021-2022 between Eric Haller, Nick Foligno, Derek Forbort, and 
and, and Thomas Noshek. If you had to pick between those four guys that I that I mentioned, which guy, which player do you believe will have the most, in, most the most profound impact on this roster, given what the needs were going into the into the new season? Well, I think if healthy, the answer is Nick Foligno, but that's that's a big if. Like, of course, I saw him front and center here in Toronto for a handful of games, and it just it was a fact he was not healthy. I don't know if it happened before or or during his time here in Toronto, maybe previous when he was at Columbus. Um, who knows how the offseason has gone for Nick Foligno. He's got a lot of miles under his track, but I, I still think he's a really good player. And again, you know, that conversation at 2C, like don't be shocked if Nick Foligno finds himself centering that second line. I think, again, they're going to try different things out. Foligno had a couple stints at center for the Maple Leafs in a small time, uh, ditto for his time in Columbus, and he's the guy to answer your question I think in general, I really liked what Boston did in the offseason. Some of the veterans they picked up on value deals. Eric Halla, we saw what he did specifically a couple of years ago with Vegas. Thomas Nosick, another guy by way of the Golden Knights, who I think can add a lot of pep in the bottom six there. And, you know, the versatility is the thing that really caught me, is the fact that these guys could play on the fourth line, they can play on the third line, they can play on your second line. And that's the Swiss Army knife-type mentality is, is a newfound approach in this day and age of the NHL world the last couple of years. And when you have a lot of guys who can do that, I think you're sitting pretty. And that, and that gives you the ability to have options in that conversation, again, for second-line pivots. Uh, so to answer your question, it's Nick Foligno. I just think he has the highest ceiling, but I, I'm not sure how healthy he is right now. We're talking with Nick Alberga of Sportsnet here on the Shooky Right Show on 91.5 FM WMFO in Medford Streaming Nationwide on the TuneIn Radio app. Uh, Nick, one of the big question marks as it pertains to the NHL as a whole in terms of Stonelines heading into the season is the Winter, the Winter Olympics. And I've talked about this on, on, in several different tweets, and the more I think about it, the more, the more fired up I get. And it's specifically as it pertains to Team Canada. I think it is absolutely so flipping unfair how deep Team Canada is just in the forward group alone. And if you are the general manager of Team Canada and you're constructing this roster that's heavily favored to win gold in Beijing come February, what are some key guys that are right off the bat that you're, that you're going to say, this guy should make the team? but he is going to be a bubble player. Your thoughts? Well, right away, you posed the question. Like, I think of the name Drew Doughty, right? Uh, yeah. You know, it depends when people are inputting their rosters, but sometimes Drew Doughty's on it, sometimes he's not. Um, you know, people would laugh at the conversation of even, say, like a Zach Hyman. Uh, I'm not sure he's going to make it. You just mentioned how deep the forward core is for that team. But I'm interested to see guys who are on the outside or the bubble conversation how they perform in the first half of the season, like Tyler Sagan, Jamie Benn, those type of names come to mind. And again, Drew Doughty, to bring it full circle, is another guy. Like, I think you're right. There's just, and I'm not saying this because I'm Canadian, there's just so much depth on this Canadian roster that it's going to be tough for any team to play against them here in the Olympics. And hopefully, fingers crossed, it does happen because, again, COVID is still a thing in this world. And who knows what could happen in the next couple months. But tentatively, it's going down. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see how some of these guys play in the first half of the season because guaranteed there's going to be a couple guys on every roster, which we're probably not prognosticating right now, but could potentially make the team 
because um, I like the fact that every Olympics, and we've seen it with the Chris Drapers of the world, the Kirk Maltby's of the world, um, you know, they get that shot to perform, and then, you know, they pick their team, which is great to see. So I think there's going to be a couple guys that shock some people. There are a couple of teams that I look at in the NHL, and I say that team has a world of pressure going into the 2021-22 season. When you look at the general uh, league uh, landscape overall, what are the teams for you that you look at and you say this team has to go very deep into the NHL playoffs, perhaps even better yet, win the Stanley Cup outright? And for me, that team is Colorado because at the beginning of the playoffs last year, the Avalanche seemed like they were going to be the straight train team that was going to completely just steamroll everyone. But everything fell apart against the Vegas Golden Knights in the second round. Would you agree with that assessment that the Avalanche or that team in the Western Conference, as of right now, that you say that team is going to be a team on a mission that could very well make its run to the Stanley Cup Finals? Yeah, like they have to be. I think, uh, you know, a betting favorite or a co-favorite at this point in time with the Tampa Bay Lightning who have won back-to-back Stanley Cups to win the Cup this year. I just think, again, you look on paper, which is important to bring up. It's just paper and not real action. Mm-hmm. They, they have a star-studded roster. You know, they bring back Captain Gabriel Landeskog playing with McKinnon and Rantanen. Nazem Kadri's their 2C. He's in a contract year. There's just so much depth. And then you look in the back end, Kale McCarr is an up-and-coming defenseman who is a top three defenseman in this league and still has potential to grow. Bowen Byram is another guy to look at this season and maybe take that next step. Samuel Girard's a fantastic defenseman. Devon Taves. And then you add the, the fact that they lose Philip Grubauer in free agency. He goes to the new team in the league, the Seattle Kraken. And then they trade for Darcy Kemper, who's also in a contract here who is also on a team like Arizona who just wasn't that good the last couple of years. And he's another, you know, comparable, I would say, to Alinas Allmark. Now that he's on a really good team, mm-hmm. it'll be intriguing to see if, if Darcy Kemper can take that next step perhaps into the Vesna conversation. So I think you look on paper at Colorado, it's hard to argue against this team, but as we've learned year in and year out, it's, it's another thing to be a highly touted team. It's another thing to go and prove it just after Tampa Bay Lightning, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, especially, like, how long it took for them to finally break through before winning back-to-back Cups in 2020 and obviously this past, um, the, um, this past uh, I guess you can say, technically summer and whatnot. Um, and speaking of the Seattle Kraken, I feel like a lot of people are, sco- are going to be spoiled by what we witnessed four years ago with the Las Vegas Golden Knights and how, on how incredible of a Cinderella run it was for the Vegas Golden Knights to make that run to the Stanley Cup Finals that they did in their first year of existence. But when you look at the Seattle Kraken and you look at this roster, and I, and I see guys like, as you mentioned, Philip um, um, Grubauer, um, Jordan Eberle, um Mark Giordano, um, um, for example, I just don't get the feeling that this is the type of team that could pull off something very similar to what Vegas did four years ago. What are your expectations for the Seattle Kraken in their first year in 2021-2022? Yeah, it's funny because people have been very hesitant to discount Seattle right away, and that's more so because of what Vegas did, who, by the way, the Golden Knights, unbelievably, are in year five already. It seems like last year they came into the league, but so be it. I think the expectation is there, the precedence that the Vegas Golden Knights set five years ago that 
our expectation, and maybe it's more so because of the the expansion rules in this day and age, is that they're going to be a rather competitive team. And then you combo that with the fact that they're in the Pacific Division, who is, you know, pretty much led by Vegas and then everybody else. Like, I think that division is wide open, and I think it gives teams like Los Angeles and maybe even Seattle an opportunity to make the Stanley Cup playoffs. When I look at the, the, the current iteration, the way the, the roster is built, um, as mentioned, like the goaltending quite a bit. Philip Grubauer, um, obviously in the conversation last year, uh, you know, a guy who was just simply tremendous for that team and, and what he did in Colorado. Um, so certainly I think when you start uh, from that situation and you, you have a guy who is a Vezina finalist last year, uh, you're feeling damn, damn good, I think, if you're Seattle. And then you complement that with Chris Trieger behind him, it's always great. Um, I like their back end quite a bit as well. Guys like Vince Dunn and, and Adam Larson and Jamie Alexek is going to bring some size and speed to that roster. And the veteran Mark Giordano, I think, will, will lead that power play. But I still, you look up front, I still wonder where the offense is going to come from. Uh, I know Yanni Gord, who came by way of Tampa, is banged up, won't start the season. Uh, he's probably, in my opinion, the most talented forward they have. Um, but outside of that, they got guys like Jaden Schwartz. They got guys like Jared McCann. It's more secondary, tertiary pieces. And granted, we were having probably the same conversation in Vegas' first year, and they found a way to provide plenty of offense. So I would say never doubt Seattle. Um, I think if you were to ask me right, right now, which you are, mm-hmm. I think they're going to be a tough team at the very least to play against. I'm not, I can't go out and say, hey, they're going to win the Stanley Cup this season but I think they're going to make it tough on their opponents. And, and that's all I think they can pretty much ask, ask and wish for in their inaugural season in this league. How magical is the rivalry going to be between Vancouver and Seattle? Because I have a feeling that this is going to really open a lot of eyes. Yeah, it should. Like, right, they, they played last night in the preseason. I thought it was mm-hmm. a great spectacle. Uh, you know, I do, I do think the colors play well on TV, which is always great to see, and it's a great mix with Vancouver and Seattle. But, you know, it's important to stress that you, you just because geography makes sense, uh, you can't just, you know, make up a rivalry. You can't, it, it's got to be organic, right? Like, yeah. I think if you do remember, they tried this with Vegas and Arizona, and it got nowhere, <laughs> right? Like, so I think my expectation is now is, you know, if Seattle's a tough team to play against and they're, they're going to be a tough out every night, then. You know, teams want, or people want to watch good teams play. I, I think the expectation is Vancouver will take another step in the right direction this season. It remains to be, be seen what happens here with Quinn, Quinn Hughes and Elias Patterson. There are phase right now still unsigned without contracts. Uh, but I, I think it cures a lot in terms of trying to manifest, if you will, a rivalry or bud this rivalry, if you will. Um, is when two teams are good. So I think that's the hope from everybody involved is that both teams are good and that, that adds to this rivalry and it gets it off the ground uh, right away. Uh, we're talking with uh, Nick Alberger of Sportsnet on the Sugar Right Show on 91.5 FM WMFO in Medford. Uh, last question I'll ask you. The New York Rangers are one of the teams in the East that coming into the new season, there is uh, there is a new set of expectations that that the organization has set upon itself, they have to make the playoffs. They haven't made the playoffs since 2017 when they lost in um, in uh, six games to the Ottawa Senators. And um, Mika Zibanejad came out and made it very clear that we have to make the playoffs. They went out and made moves during the offseason. They brought in Ryan Reeves. As many people look at it and say that was 
in response to the incident with Tom Wilson and Brendan Smith from last season. And 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 if you're looking at the New York Rangers now and wish that they're going to be starting the, the year with the new head coach, Joan Gerard Gallant, what are your expectations for the New York Rangers? And do you think that this roster, current as it currently stands, is ready to take that next step into becoming legitimate Stanley Cup contenders or even playoff contenders for that fact of the matter? Yeah, my expectations are high for the New York Rangers. You know, it's important to, to bring up what happened to finish off last season. Uh, now you have a new head coach in Gerard Gallant, or all he has done in the NHL is one win-win. He won at the World Championship this past spring with Team Canada. Now he's got a new objective, a new job than the New York Rangers. they got Chris Drury as their GM now. Uh, as you mentioned, their answer to their Tom Wilson problem by way of, of Ryan Reeves, and I believe the Rangers and the Capitals are our are getting together in, in their first game of the season. Uh, that's going to be must-see TV. I can tell you that right now that uh, the Rangers won't be pushed around anymore. Um, we saw what happened in Vegas. We saw in his time in Pittsburgh, Ryan Reeves, a tough customer, probably the toughest hombre in this league right now. So from a physicality standpoint, uh, they're not going to be bullied around again the way they sort of did uh, and were by the Washington Capitals last year. I think from an offensive standpoint, there, there's more than enough, and I think the expectation is that Nikas Zibanejad won't start as poorly as he did last year. But I tend to give a lot of these guys mulligans. Like, last season was weird, as you know, with COVID and everything and travel and the interdivisional play. Like, it was just different. And uh, we are humans. We do forget that watching professional athletes, these individuals playing, are humans. And we just don't know the factors behind the scenes. So um, the Rangers are a team I thought would take a step last year. They didn't, but I'm giving them a mulligan. And I think you look at this upcoming season – uh, they got the goaltending. Watch out for Igor Shostorkin, who I think could be in the Vesna conversation. He's unbelievable. And you look at the fact that they have the Norris winner and Adam Fox, who, by the way, is just 23 years of age. They have all the ingredients to be a really, really good hockey club. The only thing I would, I would say to add and finish up the conversation is they're in a really, really difficult division in that Metro. Columbus is not going to be a good team. Carolina's excellent. The Capitals, I think, still are a playoff team. Pittsburgh, I still, you got gamers on that roster. They're going to find a way. I think Philadelphia is in complete bounce back mode. I like what they've done in the offseason. Their expectation is Carter Hart's going to have a much better year. The Islanders are a bona fide cup contender, in my opinion. And the Devils are on the upswing. So that's the only, you know, card I would throw up in, in favor of the Rangers not, you know, turning it up and, and being a playoff team this season is the fact that they're in a really, really difficult division in that Metro. So they got to step their game here. Nick Alberga of Sportsnet, um, thank you so much for joining the program today. Very appreciated. And I look forward to, uh, to having you back on the program to talk some more hockey, especially once the new season begins, October 12th. Um, it's going to be a, it's going to be a big one. I, I can't wait. My pleasure. Welcome back and uh, go Blue Jays. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining the show. Take care. That was Nick Alberga of Sportsnet who joined the program right here on the Sugar Right Show on 91.5 FM WMFO in Metro. Coming up next, Lauren Campbell of Nesson is going to join the program just momentarily. You're listening to the Sugar Right Show on 91.5 FM WMFO in Metro. This is Sugar Right. You are listening to 91.5 FM WMFO in Medford Touch Street from radio streaming nationwide on a TuneIn Radio app.
WMFO. WMFO. Welcome back to the Shukri Wright Show on 91.5 FM, WMFO and Medford Tusk Freeform Radio, streaming nationwide on the TuneIn Radio app, globally on WMFO.org. Before I forget, and I just remembered this, I got to play this PSA real quick as part of my requirements, and it's brought to you by yours truly here on 91.5 FM, WMFO in Medford. So give me about 60 seconds. Adopt U.S. Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting, a Teenager. Learning the lingo. Today I'm going to help parents translate teen slang. Now, when a teen says something is on fleek, it's exactly like saying, that's rad. It simply means that something is awesome or cool. Another one is totes. It's exactly like saying, totally, just shorter. As in, I totes love going to the mall with Becca. Another word you might hear is jelly. Jelly is a shorter, better way to say jealous. As in, Chloe, I am like so jelly of your unicorn phone case. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will think you're, um, rad just the same. To learn more, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to the Sugar Right Show on 91.5 FM WMFO in Medford. Touch free from radio streaming nationwide on the TuneIn Radio app, globally on WMFO.org. Lauren Campbell of Nesson, she's on the program now, on the line waiting patiently, and as classy, funny, and entertaining as she is on social media. She does outstanding work for Nesson. Check out her work on Nesson.com. She joins the program now. Lauren, how are you doing on this final Monday of September, which is hard to believe. It's crazy hard to believe. I'm doing wonderful, and I'm so happy to be able to connect with you again, Shukri. It's been too long. Oh, seriously, it's been way too long. Wait, how long has it been? Like, the last time I spoke to you was, I yeah, it was the podcast. I, I think I did with you and Matt McCarthy of 98.5, the sports hub. Yeah, we were talking some Bruins playoffs, but it seems like so long ago now. Yeah. don't Listen, don't remind me. 
like I guess I guess it's part of the age of uh, where I'm getting old, where I'm forgetting like how long it's been, you know. Um, but what I haven't forgotten is the weekend that was Yankees Red Sox. Now I was at all three games over the weekend, and it was I I can't believe I'm even saying this, but it really was even more electric than I than I could have imagined. With everything that's on the line right now, and right now currently the Yankees being in the first American League wildcard spot and the Red Sox going into the weekend series, they were in first. Now they're, they're in second place in the American League wildcard spot. Lauren, what happened over the weekend? Like, What are your some of your overall uh, uh, observations and takes as to what went wrong for the Boston Red Sox this past weekend against the Yankees? Yeah, I mean, it was... The Red Sox had two very winnable games in their hands, and they let them get away. And it's this bullpen. I think that this bullpen has been – it was good in the beginning of the season, and then things started to kind of fall apart. They started to find a groove again, and now they're kind of falling apart again. And I know with Garrett Whitlock on the IL, he's been one of the the big guys that's been coming in clutch throughout so many moments in this season, not having him, Matt Barnes not being what he was in the beginning of the year – Adam Montezino being overused, you know, it's just, it's a lot. It's the end of the season. I know that these guys are tired, but this was such an important series for both teams. And it was clear the Yankees wanted it more. They had more fight in them. Um, and Alex Gore said it best, I think, last week um, after the, the Red Sox swept the Orioles. He said, when you play bad baseball, you're going to lose. But when you play good baseball, you're going give your to give yourself a chance to win. And there wasn't a lot of good baseball played in the later innings by the Red Sox this weekend. I was stunned. I was stunned by by two moves in particular. And, and, by, and by all means, I want you to tell me if you would agree with the following assessment I'm about to make. Saturday, the Red Sox are up 2-1 to one in the eighth inning. And they bring in Darwinson, the left-hander, to face Giancarlo Stanton, which... In my mind, he eats left-handed pitching. Why would you bring in a left-hander after pulling out a right-hander who faced the previous the previous battle, which I, I I couldn't believe. And then the second one, and this probably is a bigger one, was last night the Aaron Judge at bat that every at the Red Sox Nation is still talking about today. The strike three that wasn't a strike three. And then the next pitch, Aaron Judge looping a two-run double that gave the Yankees the lead. How would you assess the the managing of Alex Cora these last two games in which I would say he made two critical mistakes that have cost the Red Sox dearly? Would you agree or disagree and why? So for the first one, with removing a right-hander for a left-handed pitcher, I I was very confused by that too. Um, you know, Alex Cora, over his time managing the Red Sox, has made some questionable in-game manager, managerial decisions. And sometimes they work out and he looks like a genius, and other times they don't and comes back to bite him. And this certainly was one of the times to do it. Um, you know, Stanton is incredible against left-handers. We, we know what he can do. We've seen it all season. We've seen it throughout his career as well. Mm. And it just happened that the Red Sox were his next victim. And... He absolutely showed them why that was a mistake to remove the pitcher. But um, with the strike three call, what you know, I, unfortunately, it was an unreviewable play. Or you couldn't challenge it. Alex Cora's hands are tied. However, 
maybe he could have had the umpire go out to the umpires and talk to them. Maybe Christian Vasquez also could have, you know, he knew that it's very clearly foul tipped. He caught it. He should have been losing his mind. He should have been, you know, not not up in Joe West's face by any means. You don't want anyone getting it. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, like, you know, say something. You clearly caught the ball. And he just kind of was like, oops, I dropped it afterward. But I was like, I'm very confused on what's happening here. Because at first, in, in real time, you know, he's like, oh, maybe that wasn't foul tipped, whatever. And then it's clear as day was. Like, why is nobody, even though it's not, you can't challenge it. Yeah. Why is Christian Vasquez not losing his mind? Why is Alex Cora not coming out? Like, is there, did they see something we didn't? Like, you know, but it was obviously a very game-changing play. Um, Joe West over behind the plate. And, you know, I, I don't like being the one to, you know, oh, the rest, all the umps. But his track record and his history of blown calls, bad calls, no calls is very well known. And this just happened to be one that's going to be added to his resume at the end of this year. A weekend that I'm sure either Yankee fans or Red Sox fans or or neither one are going to ever forget. And as far as the weekend that was in Boston sports, man, if I could set fire ablaze to either Boston sports Twitter or Red Sox Twitter, I think I've managed to do both on back-to-back nights. <laughs> um, I, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna just be very off the rail with this one. What is your personal take on Sweet Caroline? Because I've got to a point where I eviscerated the Boston Red Sox and whoever's in charge of playing music at Fenway for playing Sweet Caroline immediately after giving up the go-ahead grand slam to John Carlos Stanton. What is your opinion on Sweet Caroline? I knew this was coming. Um, yeah, you really did set Twitter ablaze. You, you certainly did, and. You know, traditions, they can be fun. Traditions are traditions. But I also think there's a time and place for everything. Yes. So I think that as much fun as Red Sox fans have, it shouldn't be played when when they're losing desperately. Like when when they're down really big or when they have an inning like that where they kind of, where they give up their lead and the life is just sucked out of Fenway. I understand maybe it can put life back into the fans. It can put life back into the players. But... You know, at the end of the day, there's a time and place for it, and it's as much fun as I have had screaming it before at the top of my lungs. <laughs> I would just feel very weird if the Red Sox were like, yeah, and I've been in a situation like Red, I've been to many, many Red Sox games over my my life here. Yeah, and there's times I'm like, oh, I, I'm going to the bathroom. I'm going to go grab a, another drink or something. It's it's too much. Like I don't want to be part of this. Just um. Mm. It's not a place for everything, right? If, if the Red Sox are up or if it's a really close game, they have a big inning, um, you know, get out of the inning on, on, in a big way, sure. But when they're losing a very important series, uh, no, no. It, well, if, they are not, if they are not down or they're not, if they have, like, three or more runs, if they're down three or more runs, excuse me, then that should not be played. We're talking with... Well, Lauren Campbell of Nesson right here on the Shukri Wright Show on 91.5 FM WMFO in Medford. Lauren, there's one question in particular in which that Boston sports fans know that this is the week that this conversation has to be had. Brady is returning in six days to, to Gillette Stadium, Foxborough, Sunday Night Football, Bucks, Patriots, the most anticipated regular season game of all time, and I say that unbiasedly, 
But we all know locally the headlines. Brady's coming back. Did Bill Belichick really want Tom Brady to return? You, you, may have, you must have heard about the comments that were made today about Belichick saying that we didn't want Tom Brady to leave. So if Bill Belichick did not want Tom Brady to leave, and Tom Kern asked a really good question, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna preface it in my own in my own way. Why didn't Bill Belichick create more of more of a sustainable roster in which they was going to complement Tom Brady in terms of his skill set, in terms of weapons, and, and instead of him opting to leave to go to Tampa Bay, and obviously, as we all know, winning a Super Bowl in his first season with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah, that is the age-old question there. I don't know if it was just uh, Bob Kraft and Bill Belichick having too much confidence in Brady to kind of do his thing with the bare minimum. And Julian Edelman, obviously, was dealing with injuries. And you can't rely on an older running back, old, older wide receiver. It's just you can't rely on, on older people, no matter how much their chemistry is there. Um you know, I think at the end of the day, it ultimately was Tom Brady's decision to leave, and and that's okay. He gave New England fans 20 years of substantial happiness, constant happiness for the last 20 years, wins, championships, uh, celebrations, so much fun. But at the end of the day, you see him thriving with these incredible weapons. He's got tight ends. He's got wide receivers. He's got running backs. He's got protection. And... You know, he's doing, he's thriving at 44 years old because he's able to have a complete roster. And the Patriots obviously have not had that of late. And I think Brady was just like, I need, I need more weapons. I can't do this all on my own. Kind of like a, you know, when Giselle yelled, my husband can't throw and catch the ball at the same time. It's pretty much what he was saying. And in my opinion, anyway. So, you know, at the end of the day, I think that. They wanted. They absolutely did want Tom Brady back. I think discussions were had, but they just couldn't do enough for him because they had so much confidence in him. And that speaks volumes of, of Brady. I think we, we all have a lot of confidence in him, but as an aging quarterback and the most crucial position on a football team, you need protection, you need weapons, because you can't do it all on your own. But that, that directly leads to the next question, and it's a, and it's a really big one because... I look at Belichick and I say, you, 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 you can't supplant Brady in terms of what he's brought to the organization. You can't even supply Brady with what he had been asking for for the last three seasons that he was here in New England. He leaves. He wins the Super Bowl in Tampa Bay. Now, they are coming off an offseason, the 2021 offseason. They spent a, a boatload of money at the skill position like John o. Smith, Hunter Henry, and as well as the defensive side of the ball. They bring back Kyle Van Noy, and they also bring in Matt Judon as well. Why did it take Bill Belichick a subpar season for him to finally invest in the roster in which that Brady had been asking for prior to his departure? I think it comes down to the old cliche of you don't know what you have until it's gone. and That's so true. And I, I just, I, that's the only thing I can really think of because 
I don't think that they were, you know, defying Tom Brady of what he wanted. They're like, no, we're not going to do that. You, like, we know what you need, but poo-poo on you or whatever. And it's, you know, I know that that the Patriots appreciate him. They have a ton of respect for what he did while he was in New England. But when you can't, when when you're so used to, to winning and, you just kind of take that for granted. And I think a lot of Patriots fans said that too, because then you bring in Cam Newton, who's a 2015 MVP, number one pick. You know, there's a healthy Cam Newton is supposed to be a very busy, uh, I'm sorry, a, a very dominant Cam Newton. But with COVID and just not really living up to expectations, then they're back to the drawing board. And now Mac Jones is here and it's tremendous pressure on him because obviously with the release of Cam Newton and just still trying to fill Brady's shoes, and they're still trying to find that, you know, did we find the next, not the next Tom Brady, no one's going to be the next Tom Brady, but the next best thing, um, because we're still reaping the benefit, like reaping what we sow, really, and letting him go left a huge hole, probably a bigger hole than they realized, but there was no, no reason for them to realize that until Tom Brady left for Tampa Bay. We are joined by Lauren Campbell of Nesson on the Sugar Right Show on 91.5 FM WMFO in Medford. Now, as it pertains to the current 2021 New England Patriots, and I was talking about this during the first hour, oh my gosh, yesterday's game was probably the most infuriating game that I've watched over the last year now. And that's saying something because last year <laughs> there, there were some real doozies. But 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 yesterday's game, it was, it was like what – could go wrong, has gone wrong for the New England Patriots. And James White going down with that hip injury is a massive loss for this Patriots offense. How concerned are you for the Patriots offense moving forward, given that that you have seen Brandon Bolden struggle and as well as Ramondre Stevenson not look or have the most confidence coming into the game, given that he was benched in week one against Miami? Yeah, so I'm not hitting the panic button yet. It is only week three. You know, people like Hunter Henry, Johnny Smith, they can turn things around. They, they haven't, no, I'm not going to call them a bust by any means, but they oh, yeah. certainly have not been as productive as people would hope to at this point. You know, they're big money guys this year, and they're not, they just kind of seem like they're struggling, especially Smith and just looked awful. Yes, the whole team looked <laughs> awful yesterday, really, at the end of the day. Oh, yeah. But, you know, Ramondre Stevenson, he, he's a rookie. He'll figure it out. Um, losing James White indefinitely certainly is uh, a big blow because he's one of the best, if not the best, running backs you have out there. And he's somebody that the team really needs, not just for his production, but for that veteran presence as well. He's a well-respected guy. He's a leader. And losing that certainly will not do the Patriots any favors. But, you know, it's hard to see. The, it could be worse. It could be on three. It could have been, I mean, if they didn't throw the Jets, they probably would be 0-3 at this point. Um, but it, I'm cautiously optimistic. I think by, you know, another two or three weeks that this is still the same old same, mm-hmm. I'm going to start to be worried because, you know, it's not just, it's, it's not Mac Jones that's the problem. It's, he has got no protection. Josh McDaniel doesn't seem like he's just letting him air it out. He's he dependent on his run game. I, I don't understand why he had so many run plays yesterday in crucial moments. Um, but oh my god, like, I want to <laughs> run through my TV and try to start my own, my own game calling and play calling. And I'm like, I mean, whatever, I'm not a coach. I, I don't, I, but what I'm seeing 
because what they're doing isn't working. And like you said, what everything that could have gone wrong went wrong for the Patriots. But I'll I'll take one and three, uh, one and two over zero and three any day. But no panic button yet. But my hand is definitely like hovering, and it's ready to hit it if necessary. Are you at one and three? Because you said it mistakenly or not that they were probably going to lose to, to Tampa Bay on Sunday night. And you know, and we both know, and, as, and of course the millions across New England know, an angry Tom Brady is not a Tom Brady you want to face, especially given how things went yesterday between the Buccaneers and the Rams in which that the, the Buccaneers lost um, to the Rams. And we all know about the homecoming, the pageantry, all that fun stuff and so forth. Now, what is your expectation in terms of the atmosphere and what that is going to be like down in Foxborough this Sunday night? I mean, I think the atmosphere is going to be electric. I think, you know, at the end of the day, Tom Brady did elect to leave on his own. And that's, that's things all Patriots fans, so many Patriots fans grew up with Tom Brady. Um, you know, people are just getting into football, growing up with Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was New England for 20 years. Um, but I think at the end of the day, Pats fans are relentless at times. I'm expecting Brady to get an ovation at the beginning of the game and then just get mercifully booed for the rest of it. Like, they'll do <laughs> their happy homecoming, whatever, and they'll, they'll, respect, they'll, they'll pay their respects to him. I know he's not dead by any means, but you know, they'll, they'll remember what he did. But once it's game time, it's game time, and it's no more cheering for Brady. They'll be very, very loud. Um, obviously, this is the first time Tom Brady is returning to Gillette as an opponent. So I think, I mean, I'm like, it's like bittersweet for me just because obviously I want Tom Brady to still succeed. Um, my very first memory of watching the NFL is the Patriots losing the Super Bowl in 96, and then I just felt like all of a sudden it was Tom Brady. Like, I remember so clear as day when Drew Blesso got hit. And I was like, nothing's really gone right since they lost that Super Bowl, huh? <laughs> and it was just like, after that, it was Tom Brady. Like, I was, I don't know, eight, nine years old mm-hmm. um, when he came in. And, and it was just, that was that's how I grew up with watching football. So it's, it's bittersweet. But I think, you know, like I said, the fans will be like, hi, nice to see you. Thanks for everything. But now it's game time. But unfortunately, I don't think the Patriots have... Um, much of a chance here. I think that because, you, I mean, you alluded to it, you said an angry Tom Brady. Nobody wants to face an angry Tom Brady, especially after a loss, especially after how they lost and everything like that. So I think that an angry Tom Brady, very motivated Tom Brady, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun mm-hmm. to watch this happen, but I think that it's, I don't want to call it a, a blowout by any means, but it also wouldn't surprise me, especially with the injuries and we saw like Everything that was happening yesterday with the Patriots, just, oh boy, I just, it's going to be fun, but it's, it's probably going to result in a loss. We're talking with Lauren Campbell of Nesson as she is on the Sugar Ride Show on 91.5 FM WMFO in Medford. Last question I'll ask you, and we're going to circle back to the pennant race. We're now officially in the final week of the regular season. This is it. Six games. That's all there is left. What are your expectations for the Boston Red Sox? in these last six games, and do you think they will be able to retain home field advantage for the American League wildcard game, or do you think they will end up beginning their playoff run on the road? So I do think that they will end up ultimately hosting the wildcard game, and that's mainly because of their schedule 
and the Yankees and Blue Jays schedule. The Yankees are playing the Blue Jays starting Tuesday, and that's a big series either way. It's going to benefit the Red Sox either way. Um, they just have to win. The Red Sox just have to win, and they either separate themselves from the Blue Jays or they gain more ground on the Yankees. Um, but because of how the schedules are and how these last six games are going to go and the Red Sox are playing very poor teams to end the season, that yeah. them greatly. So I think they'll be able to retain, even if it's a half game, I don't think it's going to be, I don't think anyone's going to run away with this wild card division, but I do think that the Red Sox ultimately will be hosting the Yankees for a wild card game. Lauren Campbell of Nesson, she has been an absolute treat to be on this program. This first program back in studio live in a year and a half on 91.5 FM WMFO in Medford. Lauren, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on the program. I had you on the podcast before, and for all of you that, that are listening and don't know, you can check out the podcast on iHeartRadio and as well as Odyssey, formerly Radio.com as well. Um, absolute treat to have you on the program. Thank you so much for taking the time to join. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited for the rest of our respective team seasons this year. Absolutely. I look, look forward to talking to you again on the program. Absolutely. My pleasure. I'll talk to you later. Okay. That was Lauren Campbell of Nesson as she joined the Sugar Ride Show on 91.5 FM WMFO in Medford. I'm going to start wrapping up the program now as i got about another couple moments left. I will be back on the air with you live in studio Wednesday, special time. Filling in for the voice mobile, Joyce The Voice. I'll be filling in for her program as she is out this week on a religious holiday. I will... Be in studio doing the show live for her from 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. this Wednesday afternoon right here on 91.5 FM WMFO in Medford. I look forward to speaking with you then. Can't wait. Coming up next, Black Stripes or White Keys. That's coming up next right here on on 91.5 FM WMFO in Medford. Thank you for all of you who have listened in. I'm happy to be back. I'll talk to you guys again on Wednesday. Peace out, everybody.